Oh shit, I haven't got my starting notes. <laughs> Brilliant. How am I supposed to introduce this when I can't remember my script? Hello and welcome to The Last Standy, a board game podcast coming to you from five exciting countries across Europe. I'm joined here today by Alexis. From Belgium. Bonjour. Alessio. Hi everyone. Cara. From Germany. Hi. And I'm your host, Fen. And I will also briefly note that that's four countries. Damn. Isn't it? Yeah, yes, it is. Audrey's not here today. Originally, Audrey was planning to be here, but they're not available. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about Arkham Horror Final Hour, Atlantis Rising, Unsettled, and um, a little bit of some well drama in the community, because this is the summer of board game drama, and you can't get anywhere without it. But before we get there, how's everyone doing? Alexis, what have you been up to? Um, I'm doing very well. Uh, what I was uh, doing th just this morning was checking out uh, the last few uh, posts of the... Ah, God, God I forgot the name. Um, uh, Cora Quest, because it's uh, getting it's going to be shipped very soon. It seems like this game might be one of the best of, the, of 2021. Uh, it's really looking looking up to be at least one of the best Kickstarter experience I've had so far. So I'm pretty happy about that one. Yeah, I'm in agreement with that. Doesn't doesn't the print stuff look really good? It's clearly like children's drawings, uh, which is the intention, and in fact actually is in some cases. But the the quality looks fantastic. I don't think it's like a big extravagant plastics experience, but it shouldn't be. It's wonderful. No, the the the. The layout and everything looks really neat. Uh, it doesn't. It, it feels very. Uh, I mean, professional is is the the wrong word because you know it's being sold, so it, it is professional. But it, it looks very high quality, uh, way more than I would have expected when I first backed it. Um, I, I you know I didn't back it because I thought that this would be the the uh most incredibly designed game i bought it because of the story behind it and because of the charm of the game and the the, the characters but it looks like they've done something really great with the design too so i'm really excited for it. yeah it's kind of a shame that the materials will be anyway kind of leaning on the thin side like on cheap cardboard and stuff because the the art is beautiful and gorgeous it's actually look like an adult trying to draw like a kid uh, because it's beautiful yeah uh, outside of that I've been um, playing Midera yesterday with uh, with Audrey through uh, TTS uh, we've continued the campaign that we started um, in person uh, we're still not far enough to have a, a proper opinion but within a couple of episodes we might be able to talk about it at more length I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. It's, um, it's been an interesting ride with that game, for sure. Yeah, I'm sure it will have a lot of things to talk about. Uh, what about you, Car? Um, well, um, I have recently gotten very interested in Star Wars Armada. And, um, <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> yes, and uh, you hang know. On, hang on, hang on. I'd like to disappoint our listeners once again by reminding them that. I've given up on Star Wars. Do you feel that? Cues at violin. Um, 
I mean, it has been announced that there won't be any new releases for Star Wars Armada, at least for this and next year. So a lot of people wonder if it's it will be continued at all. And I think that's the perfect time to start it. So yeah. Um, <clears throat> and by doing so and uh, trying to find the more rare releases um, that are sold out everywhere, I have made an incredible um, uh, discovery. Google search results have more than one page. And um, you found the shop. Yes. Wait, wait, hang on, <laughs> H hang on, more than one page? Yes, if you scroll right, like, like down all the way, there, there are small numbers and you can click on these numbers and a new page shows up. That, that, wait, that was... <laughs> and this changes everything. All I do is I click on the one at the top that says advertised link. I figure like the company deserves to have their advertising clicks go through. So that's what I do. <laughs> I, I could actually not have to look at the stuff I don't want to look at. Amazing. I yeah, kind of remember that in ancient times there was like this uh, this uh, written Google with a lot of O of O's and you can click on the second O to go to the second page. Right. That sounds like caveman hieroglyphics and sorcery. <laughs> I, I do not. I don't even remember that. I, I've, I've got a, a pretty old Gmail account and I don't remember Google being like that. St stuff from last millennium. Mm. Uh, yeah, but really, I, I was looking for this one ship and it was sold out everywhere. I checked several online stores for board games and tabletop games, none had it, and I checked all the Google results. I went to the fourth page and on the fourth page, I found the online shop of a small brick and mortar store in Cologne and they had it in stock. <laughs> Such is the popularity of fourth page. Yeah, oh. so um, that's interesting. Um, yeah, that's that's great as well. I I I guess I I I actually think Star Wars Armada is a pretty good game. It's not exactly my cup of tea, but if I was I like Nick, who from the UK I used to play with, he'd break out on the table occasionally. And I'd always play and have a good time. So yeah. Um, another thing, uh, school started again today in Germany, and I went to my principal and I got basically permission to try my idea of starting a board game club in school so um the, the next few days i will try to recruit some trusted students who Ooh. i uh, think are able to handle my board games without breaking them do, do they want my copy of dream crush Isn't they can't German. have it but it's, <laughs> it's barely like it's almost language neutral that thing it's not actually so almost but Eliza Woods in it. Trusted students uh, sounds uh, dangerously like henchmen. <laughs> Don't tell them. No, I, I I actually think this is fantastic. A um a, a board game club in schools is just it's just good. Like board games do help develop various different thinking skills, critical thinking skills, analysis. Depends on the game you're playing, even the ability mm -hmm. to lie, you know. That's yeah. a helpful skill for when you reach adulthood and maybe classes should teach it. I don't know. Yeah, and basically my idea is to have like um, up to 10 games and teach a small group of uh, students these games and develop some rules for the club. And once they are um, well versed with the games, I will open the club up to uh, basically all the students and my henchmen can then teach them 
these guys. Trusted students. <laughs> yes. Yeah. My trusted students. <laughs> so yeah, I'll see how it goes. Well, uh, actually, to link with your uh, statements, uh, I have to say school has begun in Italy too, which means I'm a free man again because the kids are at school. So <laughs> wonderful. I have a lot of free time now. And uh, yes, uh, I still love my family. Thanks for asking. Uh, <laughs> I've been through a, a rough summer with uh, kids all the time at home. I, I, I love the creatures, but uh, I'm really happy to have a bit of time for myself. So what I did this uh, couple of weeks was to... Well, I received the Descent Legends of the Dark, which was translated to Italian and was finally available. And I have to say, it was kind of an addictive game. It's <laughs> uh, really good! Yeah, it, it, it's really good. Uh, of course, I, I have to play it uh, a little more because... It's uh, it has some stuff like it's a tabologue. You have to continuously click on the app. Uh, you have a bit of stuff which is kind of annoying, but uh, they pitched it as the definitive dungeon crawler, and I think they are not that far from the truth. And uh, that's basically my week because after that I I, I even uh, took back the brushes again and. Uh, <laughs> and painted uh, the figure of Cyrus. So it was a kind of an achievement since I didn't touch a brush for the last, I think, eight months. Um, anyway, that's my couple of weeks. What about you, Fen? Well, the last of my stuff arrived from the UK and my brother failed to ship my Shadows of Brimstone with it. Uh, I mean, in his defense, he was moving house, he has his first child on the way, um, and his dogs are terrible. Well, actually, one of them's really nice, the other one's a terror. Um, so he kind of like lost track, and I didn't provide him with a full list of everything of mine that he was supposed to give to my parents to send on. Um, Everything did else did get here, though, just fine. So I've got my Arkham Horror again, and my Space Hulk is back here, and all sorts of games that I was like, oh, I don't remember I owned this, but brilliant. So I've been updating Board Game Geek and uh, spending time sorting out the gaming attic. <sighs> Still got to get more um, dresses to get everything sorted away properly, and then get a table. But uh, should have it sorted by the time the first of my friends are allowed to visit from the UK when they get taken off the travel ban list. Um, I also picked up six Oink games. And these have been like, they've been sat on my desk for about a week now, um, except when they've been off on the table being played with various people. And I'm going to give six really fast mini reviews of them because they're all quick games. The longest one's about 30 minutes and the shortest is 15. And, and they're very light. And Oink games are phenomenal for doing one of two things, really good games or really bad ones. Um, but these are, these are all pretty damn good. Uh, first one is Deep Sea Adventure. This is two to six players. This is the longest at 30 minutes. This is like a variant of Diamant or Ink and Gold. In essence, it's a push-your-luck-collect-treasure adventure. You're a 
as a I was gonna say astronaut. You're a su you're a subnautica. No, nope, that's a video game. You're a um, sea adventurer. I think the game calls them. Uh, traveling down a little trail made of tiles. And each on the back of each tile is a point value. They represent relics. Uh, you move. You can pick one up if you want to. Um, and you have to leave an empty space token behind. And essentially, you move as far down the track as you want to. And then you run back up. You have to get back to the submarine before the oxygen runs out in order to claim the points for that round. So that's the push your luck bit. The interesting part is the oxygen is shared between everyone and the more treasure you're carrying, the more you use oxygen. You can also leapfrog players. So you can't ever land on the same spot as someone. So they basically occupy spaces equal a free piece of movement. So this is this whole kind of thing of how far can I get? Can I get back with this treasure? Uh, and only people who get back get to keep it. You play three rounds. Anyone who fails to pick up any treasure, it falls to the back of the line in big piles. So it becomes very valuable if you can get to it. And the whole line closes up with all the empty spaces being brushed away. So gradually you get to the third round and it's high stakes. The relics are worth a lot and it's very exciting. It's it's a fine game. It's like a six and a half, seven out of ten. The sort of thing that if it's on the table, I love it. Um, but I'm not going to jump up and go, hey, do you want to play Deep Sea Adventures? Because I'm more likely to like pick something else. But if someone is playing it... I'm in. Uh, pretty fun. Looks nice. Uh, then we have Nine Tiles Panic. This is the biggest of the Oink boxes. It's a two to five player game in 20 minutes. Everyone's given it nine tiles, double sided, hence the name. And at the start of a round, you will draw three cards that indicate the goals for the round. And you need to arrange your little city, which is being invaded by aliens who want hamburgers. Um, into a 3x3 grid according to the scoring criteria, which might be like longest road or most dogs next to each other, silly things like that. Um, then the first person who's happy with their grid just goes, I'm done. They grab it, the first token that says one on it. They flip over the timer. Everyone else has a minute to finish. That's the panic part of Nine Tiles Panic. And it's just like frantically trying to get it done. The advantage of these tiles that you get is if you tie with anyone else on the number of a goal, you win if you have the lowest number tile. So you want to be fast. You want to be swift. If you're very slow at this, you're in trouble. This game, like a lot of Oink games, doesn't like slow people. Uh, it's okay. I call it a 6 out of 10. It's fun and it's kind of forgettable. It looks gorgeous. It will get you a chuckle occasionally. And I think it's a good way of getting people greased up for playing Galaxy Trucker. Because Galaxy Trucker is like this, but really a lot, a lot tougher. What was thinking about that? Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Next of all, we have the 2020 release from them, which is Durian. That's, this is a really stinky board game, as expected from a stinky game, but actually it's <laughs> <laughs> it's actually quite good. It's a variant of the forehead game, which is that old classic, like where you have something held up on your forehead, old, and everyone else, like charades, have to kind of understand what it is. You don't know, or more like Hanabi, where your hand is hidden from you, everyone else can see it. Uh, there are these cards. They're like dominoes. They have two lots of stock on the left and right in different numbers. Um, you, they'll be dealt out, and you can only see the back of your card, but you can see everyone else's. That's the inventory of the shop. So that's how much stock there is in total. Then on a player's turn, they draw the top card of the deck and they have to line it up on this little order sheet. And whatever they put on the right is the order. Uh, and this keeps going. Now, the real wrinkle in this is if somebody thinks that the latest card played has resulted in the, the order being more than the stock, they get to grab the bell. You get a bell with the game. 
tiny. That's, it's that's a bell. Yeah. That's the bell. Um, and they challenge you. And everybody flips down their cards, and you look at the total stock. If is if the stock doesn't match the order, like as in there's l less stock than the order requires, then hard cheese. The manager's angry with you. You get an angry manager token. Um, these are worth increasing number of points so that right near the end of the game, you get seven points against you if you get the last one wrong. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of fun of like it's almost a re reverse Hanabi in that way. There are also a few gorilla cards. They add a real wrinkle to things because there are three of them and when they're drawn they mess with the order some things like they force you to flip the um the order uh, an order card around to the other way which can really mess with the plans it's enjoyable in the whole looking at what other people are doing and being like what what are my cards why are they putting that out i don't i because you're missing these just two pieces of information in respect to the whole stock um very fun Always, you always have a good laugh when everything goes horribly wrong. Uh, it's over in 20 minutes, and this one plays a maximum of seven players, two to seven players. I don't think it's great with two players. Uh, it's really fun with, like, five or more. Um, not bad at all. And as I said, I'm really happy. Reverse Hanabi, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, now we're going to get on to the, the big ones. Um, okay, so first of all, we've got Insider. Insider, I would describe as... The Resistance Avalon with Merlin, with all of the fluff taken out. Oh. So, in essence, oh. this is four to eight players. At the start of a round, one player will be... Um, the tiles will be dealt out. Your tiles either say Commoner, Master, or Insider. Commons or Commoner. Uh, yeah, and Master. The Master flips their tile up. They draw a card. The, car the card has six different... Um, Names on it, words I should say, and they're in, I think, in German, English, and French, I believe, printed on this. Um, and then you'll look at the top card of the deck to get a number to determine which one. They have different numbers on the back. That's the word of the round. And then you will close your eyes, and the insider will open their eyes and take a look at the card and the, and the number to know which is the word. And then they close their eyes, and then that's hidden. All the commons, they got no idea. They have to keep their eyes shut the whole time. Then when the round starts, you turn over a little hourglass and you play animal, mineral, vegetable or 20 questions, depending on what you know it as. And in essence, people have to ask the master yes, no questions. Um, but here's the rub is if you don't get it right within the time, everyone loses. But if you get it right, then you have to play a sub game of figuring out who the insider is. Because if you guess who the insider is, Everyone who wasn't the insider wins, but if you don't finger the insider correctly, the insider wins. So the insider wants everyone to win because they want them to succeed and they know exactly what the word is, but they don't want to give away too many clues because at the end of it, if they're obvious, they're going to get fingered and they're going to lose. And that's the joy of the cat and mouse bit. Getting there is kind of fun, asking the questions, enjoyable. Is it is it a car? No, etc. Um, that's fun, but right at the end where everyone, including the master, because the master's involved in trying to figure out who it is, because they don't know who the insider was, has that that discussion, and that it, it's 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 great. It is the um, as I said, it's exactly the same as Avalon with Merlin, except it plays faster, and the win rate is pretty balanced as opposed to um, <laughs> as Avalon opposed to Avalon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, two left. Okay, we've got a fake artist goes to New York. This is a similar principle to Insider. That's um, cool. Oh, I yeah, love this, this game. This game is you can you can play this game without owning the box, but you really should get the box to support. 
what happens is one person's randomly determined to be the game's master for the round. They have they will pick an object to or a thing to be drawn, and they'll write that on all of the cards being given out to everyone, except for one person who gets an X or fake written on it. And they've got no idea what's going on. It's like Spyfall in that manner. Uh, now, basically going around the table, people have to draw the thing one line at a time with their own separate coloured pen. And the person who doesn't know what's going on has to try and draw it without uh, giving away that they don't know what's going on. But everyone else who's drawing it, they don't want to be too precise. Because if the fake artist figures out what other people are drawing, they can go, I know what this is. This is an elephant. And if the games master goes, you're right, the fake artist wins. But... Uh, if they get it wrong and people figure out who the fake artist is, then the fake artist loses. It's funny. You could do it like at a convention. You could do it at a big like um, board and everything, uh, you know, on a whiteboard. It's it's a remarkably joyous game and language neutral, which is nice. Oh, it's, um, it's oh, a, the perfect game if you want to have fun with like five friends, a little bit yeah. too much beer and a drawing board. <laughs> yes, it is. It is such a great hidden role kind of game and it's very unique in the way that it does it all and at the end of it all um you've got a little pad and you if you use that you've got a big pile of different pictures that people are drawn so you can have your own really crappy gallery which could, you then <laughs> can play modern art with <laughs> yeah you know uh which yeah yeah, yeah i mean as soon as soon as i'm on props you know why, why not let's 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 get it out it's right here <laughs> sold that's my gavel. That, that, my modern that's, art gavel. That's so sad. <laughs> why, why are you mocking Nizia so so bad? I'm not. That... Modern art's fantastic. <laughs> and, any, anyway, uh, last the one. First, last the first one. game. The, the first game you talked about, the one about sub su, submariner, subnautica, sub stuff. It's S actually sea adventures. It looks a lot like where riders. Uh, I wanted to say that before, but you were so fast. I know. I'm trying to be fast and trying to get this done. Last one: startups. This Go is ahead. The best. This is the best of the bunch. If you're only going to get one, get this. This is three to seven players. I'm going to have to be very brief with this one because it's actually quite complicated in the rules. But in essence, there's a deck of cards. These cards represent different companies. Printed on each card is the number of cards in the deck. At the start of the game, five of those cards are removed randomly. Now, what you're trying to do from here on is you're trying to get a monopoly in one of these and not have to pay other people points because you don't have enough of the cards. There's a whole load of, like, tricky little rules to get your grips around like for example if you own the most of a given company then you have a monopoly and you're not allowed to pick up any more cards from that from the face-up market that it starts to build up so you have the most of the cards but you can't you can't get any more without you have to just draw from the middle of the deck also if you don't want any cards in the middle of the deck you have to pay points onto those cards which makes them more tempting for other people and then at the end of the game, you even get to include the cards that are in your hand in working out who has the most. I've done a really fast, really bad description of this game. All I'm going to tell you is this is my 9.5 out of 10 game. This, yeah, that... If you're only going to get one game from Oink, this should be it. You bring this to a social gathering, you put it on the table and your friends cheer and then hate you after the game's finished. And then somebody reaches in the durian box and rings the bell. 
<laughs> yeah, you can you can uh, play uh, that game and do yourself a lot of damage with the hidden ending when yeah. you show your cards. <laughs> you can, you absolutely can. It's 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 got everything. It's so clever in how it's constructed. Um, Oink Games have a video on YouTube of teaching. Just watch that. They do a much better job than me. It's less than ten minutes. It's cute as heck. It's really good. So there we are. That is my uh, stand-up Oink Games. And uh, it's time for us to go on to a, a less light-hearted subject and briefly <laughs> talk about what's happened uh, with... Yeah? I, I had a couple of questions about your Oink Games, unless you... Okay, okay, no, no, go ahead. Question. Uh, uh, we'll cut this. And uh, does anyone have any questions? Yes, I have a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. Um... How many? How much does uh, each game cost, approximately? Approximately up to about twenty euros, maybe between twenty and thirty euros. Uh, they they're very high quality on the component side. That's pretty nice. That reminds me a bit of the um, uh, level ninety nine minigame library. I don't know if you know it. I don't. Oh, it's a uh, it's a box of I think six games uh, that are uh, card pack format, and every game is its own little. Uh, little game and you can just bring along just a card pack that contains a full game uh, I might talk about them in, a, in another episode but I've always decided not to because I don't think that it is available anymore and it would just make people uh, <laughs> envious of the, a game that they cannot have but each of them are is interesting some of them are really really good others are just alright um, I might uh, I might talk about them a little bit later. In any case, well, it, it's not like any of us before have talked about games that are almost impossible to get their hands on, like say Fireteam <laughs> Zero. I didn't do that. No. Um, well, then in which case, uh, it's time for us to go from the light-hearted, joyous fun of Oink to something a little bit more serious, where we talk about what's been happening in the world of board games in the summer that never seems to stop being a bit kind of. Why? I, I, I'm uh, so I'm so tired. <laughs> yes, I am. I'm tired of this. Could could people like just make games and not do this kind of stuff? But uh, well, uh, TGG Games, the Gaming Goat Games, which I believe is is, is as it is, launched yeah. a Kickstarter for. Uh, let's get the name right. Tournament Fishing, the deck building game, which I believe might be a reprint. Um, it seems to be a 2017 game. Now, they were doing campaigning. They had adverts on Board Game Geek. Everything was pretty fine and normal until uh, one Twitterer, who I'm not going to give the name of because they've chosen to make their profile private as a result of the things that happened to them. I can't blame them for it. Um they brought to attention that one of the images being used um, was what is called a dog whistle. Now, before we get into this, and I'll explain everything very briefly, the concept of dog whistles fairly straightforward to understand. We're out in the garden. You're a young child having a great time. I'm out there with my dog, Pam. I pull out a dog whistle from my pocket. I blow. You hear nothing. My dog, Pam, comes over. She gets a treat because she's a good girl. Now, that that's what a dog whistle is. It's a between me and my dog, there was communication. You saw me do something. You didn't hear any of the communication. If you don't understand what a dog whistle does, you wouldn't have even realized that the dog has a higher 
like pitch a bit capability of hearing and she's come over because i've made a noise that she's been trained to come over for so dog whistling is that concept where you're doing something that other people don't understand it's quite often innocuous or um like has other meanings elsewhere and it is it's used to signal in particular it's used to signal by people from the alt-right um, now, this particular image was a pair of hands holding a frog, and the frog was uh, had its one of its specifically its right hand into a certain shape. Um, in itself, a frog in a tournament fishing kind of game, not completely bizarre to see. You know, that's not really a red flag because frogs go in lakes and ponds, so do fish. The, one of the cards might be a duff prize that you draw a frog. You could kind of ignore that, but when you add onto the hand signal things become a different matter entirely. The frog's bright green. The frog is a reference to Pepe the frog, which back in 2016-2017 was was co-opted by white supremacists in America as a symbol. It's never recovered from that. Uh, it is still used in places, and sometimes just the frog emoji is used for the same reason. That Now, the second thing was the hand shape. Now, what this frog was doing is with its right hand, it was putting its thumb and its pointer finger into a circle and spreading the other fingers to form a W. Or at least most of a W because frogs don't have as many digits as humans. Uh, this, if you're doing it right now, you might want to like be like, maybe I shouldn't do it. Um, but if you look at it, what it forms when you look at it palm face first is a W and a P and that stands for white power. This symbol came to light uh, during a particular trial where the defendant, um, a white supremacist, did it and that's when people realized that this was a dog whistle. Uh, 45, the president who should not be named, hand signals this all the time. It's not clear whether he does it consciously or not because that man's a mess but essentially this was a form of dog whistling or at least TGG and um, Jeff, uh, the owner, was accused of it. Um, and instead of any backing off away from this, uh, any attempts to perform proper PR to say, like, this is an accident, we're going to correct it, we're going to get rid of it, we didn't mean to cause any offence, nothing like that. He started to insult the Twitterer involved. And then when a board game geek thread came up, he started to try and gaslight the people involved to just be like, no, no, it's, I, I, frogs do that all the time. It just naturally happens and, and statements along to those lines. Again, it was very aggressive if, and unpleasant. If you double but... down, I think that it's a yeah. Pretty... Uh, yep, yep. He yeah, you also added he... a, a caption to the image that uh, was in the that meant to just say, "Oh, this is this is nothing wrong. Don't worry. This is not hateful." Mm. I don't know. To me, it yep. just it just reeked of uh, just trying to cover his ass, but not willing it, it, it... to to change anything. I don't know. Yeah. It was it was a very ironic statement. You could smell that it wasn't a genuine statement, um, much like, you know, you, you talk about like if you accuse someone of being like this, the only way they'd ever admit it is ironically as a joke. Yeah, exactly. Kidding. Ex un unless. Exactly. Like, yeah, the, the, this is the, the exact same way that uh, yeah. has happened in dozens of communities when someone does a dog whistle and then does not uh apologize or say nothing just say oh no this wasn't what you believe uh this is just innocuous which usually to me is just the proof that they are yeah um, doing it also uh i would point out to on youtube uh in the studio as a 
few very good videos about um, that kind of, of tactics if someone wants to to learn more about it. Uh, it's very interesting. Yeah. And there's a thread on BGG that goes into a lot of details about that you can read and people had kept receipts and uh, screenshots of uh, statements that later um, he, he deleted and uh, tried to, to hide and cover his own ass. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'd also like to recommend ContraPoints on YouTube as well if you want to see somebody else who's very versed and good at explaining this stuff. Um, yes, but I was going to say Innuendo Studios, the alt-right playbook is a very eye-opening thing because a large section of this is it's done in a way to um, gradually convert what they call centrist normies that's their terminology, um, to pull them more towards the right and also to look innocent so you can like gaslight the left people who are aware of what's going on and trying to say this is happening by making them look crazy. Like, it's just a frog. Frogs do this all the time. You know, if you hold a frog, they'll curl their fingers in this pattern. It's perfectly natural and normal. But we know from Jeff's own statements, which he later then tried to delete and erase from Kickstarter, that this this was a form of dog whistling. He he did everything short of outright admit it. So horrible situation. But like we talked about last time, I before we get into any discussion anyone wants to have, I think it's worth acknowledging. Again, the community's been fantastic in their response about this. Uh, and so have publishers and content creators. People have not stood for this, which is it is nice to see. It's horrible to have these things. It is. It is. It's great. Uh, um, I want to get their name correct. Badgers from Mars have um, separated away from TGG. So that's the Badgers from Mars um, hold the license for Regicide. Regicides. We're going to be talking about that because that game's. Mm. It is excellent, um, but I was a bit sad that it was linked to TGG, but they've they've separated away, which is great. And and there's been a fantastic sort of response. There has been some terrible stuff as well. Like I said, the individual who first brought this to everyone's attention was treated very poorly and um, uh, has made the Twitter profile private. Uh, John uh, Keane, too, who made a Black Sonata. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Yep. Yep, he, he mentioned as well. Uh, he talked about how some designers are being um, tarred by association because they may not, their, their names on the boxes of games that TGG have published, but you have to remember they may not directly be involved with TGG at all. They may have sold the rights to a game to another publisher who's then sold the distribution rights elsewhere to America to TGG. So just because there's a game like that uh, out there, um, and I think one other thing that's worth mentioning is a, a chap who we talked about before, the designer of um, of Unbroken, who, uh, yeah, our team, Sarov, our team Sarov, I believe, my pronunciation is terrible, I do apologize, our team, we talked about Unbroken before, uh, he has severed his um, connections with TGG, he was looking for a new publisher after his last oh, publisher God, let himself that, down. That guy just goes from walls to walls, oh. I... I know I I my sympathies go out oh, to him. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to hear this. He did hear our he heard our previous podcast, but yeah. Oh yeah, I'll definitely send him a message to to tell him to you know. Oh. Mm. Yeah, I I I hope he finally lands somewhere where he can have a publisher who treats his designs right because, as 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 we talked about and as somebody wrote about a board game geek recently, 
Unbroken is really good. It it is really good. It's just a shame that that his publisher um, just acted that way, and now it's just getting worse. Yeah, well, he yeah. dodged a bullet here. He did. It set him back a bit, but at least he wasn't like published yeah. at that time. So that's something. Yeah. So there we are. That's uh, that's the TGG situation, and I mean that's all of my thoughts and a bit of an explanation on it. So how how about you guys? Yeah. Yeah, sp- speaking of monsters which look lurk in the dark, uh, I think uh, it's time to talk about Arkham Horror Final Hour. And uh, yeah, so Arkham Horror Final Hour. This is a 2019 game from Carlo Rossi, published by FFG Asmodee. Now, uh, this is a kind of a game with a Cthulhu myth. I have to say uh, one thing because uh, it, it will uh, it will come up when I talk about this game. I, I I am actually I read a lot of Lovecraft in my life. I I was sometimes passion, passionate, sometimes not about the Cthulhu myth, and uh, I am not a fan, meaning that I am not mindlessly fa- fanatic of everything involving. Tulu, but I appreciate a good game. That said, <laughs> now I can talk about Akamoro Final Hour. Uh, basically, the the theme is the one we are used to. Basically, there are crazy cultists which are trying, who are trying to summon a great old one. You play as the brave detectives, uh, which who are basically a rectag team of misfits from all ranks of society, and you try to stop them. Okay, there's a twist here, because the ritual, the summoning ritual, is actually already done, and uh, the great old one is basically summoned. This time, the detectives are trying to reverse the ritual before it's too late. So, uh, this is the game's name, which is Final Hour, because you actually have about an hour before literal hell breaks loose. So, um... What do you do in this game? This game is played inside the Miskatonic University, which is uh, a famous location in the fictionary city of uh, Arkham uh, from the from Lovecraft novels, and uh, you are basically uh, you are basically uh, setting up at the start of the game five symbols, which are diamond, star, moon, cross, and hourglass. Uh, you have this set of five symbols repeated two times. You uh, pick randomly two different symbols from one set and put them aside. These are the key to reverse the ritual. You never look at them and when you try to reverse the ritual you reveal them and you can do that once in your game. The remaining symbols are flipped so are covered to you and are mixed with a couple other tokens and dispersed across the game board so that uh, in each location there's a sim- uh, there's a symbol to investigate how do you how you play that actually you have uh, basically a succession of turns made of an action phase and a great old one phase in the action phase, basically, players take turns playing a covered action card. 
which is a top card uh, taken from a detective's action deck. Each detective has his own action deck. And then you reveal from your end a priority card, which is a card with the number 1 to 30. Uh, basically, you always have in your end four priority cards and you must choose from them. Uh, when players have played one priority card and one action card together four times, you uh, sort the cards by priority, lowest to highest. Then uh, the cards, the action, then you reveal the action cards and the, the action cards are actually made like the Gloomhaven cards. So they have uh, a top action and the bottom action. The top action is always beneficial to the detectives and it's a good thing you do to contain the monsters, to move around the map, to place barricades, to repair stuff and so on. The bottom action is always beneficial to the monsters and, uh, and it's, uh, it's the only action which allows you to investigate somewhere. Investigating is the act of flipping the token in a location so to detect uh, either a symbol or pick an item. If you get a symbol, you basically know that uh, the symbol you have taken has 50% as 50% less probability of appearing in the ritual because you had originally 10 symbols you took to a side and the remaining eight are the ones you are searching for so when you find one you know that that specific symbol is not in the couple you are trying to decipher when you got for example, two times the hourglass, you know that the hourglass is not a symbol for the ritual. Why this is important? Because at any point, at the end of a turn, after the great old one phase, you can decide, you can decide to try to reverse the ritual. And by doing that, every player plays three cards, three priority cards from their end priority cards other than the number they also have uh, in the bottom left of the card one of these symbols so you play a set of symbols and you have to flip the symbols which are actually the key to reverse the ritual if you played and guessed correctly double the number of detectives of symbols worth of symbols so if you basically, let's say, uh, diamond and star are the key, you play diamond, diamond, star, hourglass, hourglass, cross, diamond, you played three diamonds and one star, they are four symbols, you have two detectives, you won because you guessed correctly two times the number of detectives you have in play. This, is, this looks a bit complicated, but it's extremely quick to play. Uh, when you have resolved the top part of the first two uh, action cards and the bottom part of the last two action cards, the action phase ends. And then it's the great old one phase. Again, you pick all the, all the priority cards you played before. You count the number of omen symbols which are printed on each 
priority card, domain symbols are like diamond with an eye, and based on the number of omen symbols, you uh, you look at a table which is unique to the great old one you are playing against, and uh, you play the disadvantage which is listed there. After then, you pick a portal token, you basically spawn new monsters, and uh, after that, you begin a new turn. And the, games, the game goes on until either you are ready to guess uh, the combination to reverse the ritual, or a detective dies, in that case the, the entire team loses, or uh, the uh, summoning location is overrun with monsters. So you basically have to play two games here. You have, uh, on one hand, try to contain uh, the number of monsters. You have to kill them, block them, move them around, and try to not have them near the summoning point. And on the other hand, you have to find symbols to try to not end up guessing the key to reverse the ritual. Now, this is basically the game. This is played very, very fast. It plays co-op one to four players. I bought it to play it solo. And it's an excellent game solo. You can, you, you can safely play for 30 minutes and have a full game in that time span. And uh, in more players is uh, even funnier because uh, you, don't, you, you aren't allowed to talk about the cards and the priority and the priority you are assigning them. So basically uh, you have a perfect, uh, you have to have a perfect uh, synchronicity with your with your partners and uh, you have to play to solve a puzzle together. This is uh, actually very fun and the thing I appreciate a lot is the how the mechanics are tight. There's no useless action and uh, priority cards are so overloaded with uh, meaning which you are basically thinking of, ev of everything you do. You cannot for example, try to waste a priority card that you think, uh, well, I have a 15, there's uh, no problem, I'll just put it there. Uh, I'm, it doesn't matter if I play top action or bottom action because they are almost equivalent. It's okay if I investigate, it's okay if I kill a monster. So I'm playing it either way. But since the cards also have symbols on them, uh, oh no, that card has a moon. I need the moon because I think that is a key to decipher the ritual. So the more the game goes on, the more you have to think about what you do and the more you have to synchronize with your partner. So uh, I appreciate when a game clicks so well as Arkham Horror Final Hour. And I have to say, uh, I played a lot of Arkham Horror Second Edition. This game takes the feel of urgency you have from that game, but it compresses it while still feeling to play a kind of Arkham game, although the theme is a lot lighter. Yeah, I was going to say that was exactly my problem with it. Despite them going back to the well with the same old Arkham characters, 
I mean, we've got Ashcan Pete, Jenny Barnes, Rita Young for some reason. Yeah. Tommy yeah, exactly. Muldoon, Lily Chen, who I do adore, and boring Michael McGlynn. Um, <laughs> but there's there's absolutely no Agnes, which is like a huge mark against it. If you're going to leave Agnes <laughs> Baker out, then what what are you doing? Yeah. But um, it never felt like an Arkham game to me, to be honest. Like it felt I. I played this on Tabletop Simulator a bit. I considered whether I was going to pick it up as well. Um, I, and I didn't like it. I really didn't. I only gave it a, <laughs> fel, a quick try. And it felt very much like a, a sort of um, pandemic uh, version of the Akamo experience. Yeah. It, it, uh, like, uh, it kind of reminds you of Pandemic. Uh, Reign of Tulu, I think, is called the Tulu version of Pandemic. Um, the fact is that you are on a timer because when you exhaust the summonings uh, you have to attempt a blind guess without having the right cards in your hand so you are basically pitted against time and that feels a lot like Pandemic Reign of Tulu this is a common objection the other fence objection is uh, the other one which is very common uh, a lot of people is a is uh, as endeared the, the the characters in the original Arkham Horror games and uh, extended the universe universe of uh, Arkham Horror. So a lot of people didn't like this game. I have to say, as an Arkham Horror experience, uh, this is uh, a fast game with a very light with a very light theme. Uh, as a puzzle game with uh, elements of cooperation, this is a very valid game. One very smart. The, the mechanic to unlock the, the, to reverse the ritual is uh, one of the best key mechanics there is. The game is very light, so it doesn't play with the face of events. Uh, you, don't, uh, you don't get lost in other dimensions like it happens with, uh, with the big box Arkham Horror. There's a lot of stuff. So actually, uh, this is a matter of preferences. If you are going in, trying to play uh, an Arkham horror game, uh, you want to be filled with Tulu mythos. There are better games than this. For example, I think there's uh, Elder Signs, uh, which is another game which plays very fast, uh, based uh, on uh, on uh, Lovecraft uh, writings. I think that is. There are fast games. Uh, this is a cool game with perfect mechanics and a kind of stitched on theme. That said, I have to say uh, the secret information you keep is, uh, is smart. You, you basically uh, have uh, very tight mechanics everything everything you do counts and it's a very lightweight game if you want to look at what is left to improve like we say the theme is very light so if you are a long time arkham arkham fan you won't probably like this game uh, it's uh, a bit unforgiving for instance it's easy to ruin everything for everyone if you do a single move without thinking at mid-game. 
if you uh, should really control those monsters and you don't if you don't count correctly the number of omens so when the great old one acts it actually does another action uh, other than the one you were expecting uh, you are always risking you are one step away from disaster so the game feels very compelling because everything you do counts but it is very unforgiving and sometimes uh, you are in the hands of randomness another thing another thing which is important you have basically uh, three great old ones which are uh, actually there's Cthulhu and there there are two mi minor ones which actually I have to uh, to get the box uh, to remember so there okay there's Shudemel and Umordoth there's no Shubnigurath there's no Nyarlathotep there's nothing like that probably because they were left out for expansions and then the expansions uh, didn't came or uh, anyway it needs more variation because the great old ones are what differentiates one game from the other and just three mean that you can exhaust your play strategies in 20 or 25 games tops in the end uh, i have to say as a puzzle game as a solo game i would rate this seven out of ten as a co-op game it is probably a 6.5 or 7 out of 10 but if you want to consider it as a perspective of an arkham horror fan you are probably rating this 5 out of 10. my problem's not so much as an arkham horror fan is just like i don't see where this game fits because if i want um, like a big epic experience, I've got Eldritch Horror. If I want a stodgy, terrible experience that takes forever to get through, I've got Arkham Horror Second Edition. And yeah, I love the game, <laughs> but it's it's a mess. It's a hot mess, especially if you start playing with the expansions. It really is. Um, and if you want a game that sits on my shelf and collects dust, I've got Arkham Horror Third Edition, yeah. um, which I never which get around to playing. I'm not. I've got no judgment on it because I just they never get it onto the table. Um, but like. For me, what you're describing here, everything, I'm like, ooh, I, I, I want to play Eldritch Horror again. Is that's <laughs> that? This is what this is what this feels is like. This is competing against is Eldritch Horror for me. I, I know I, they're different games, but it's the same. It space. kind of feels to me that um, they've been trying to recapture the same uh, genius of Eldritch Horror for a long time because Eldritch Horror was already, in my opinion, a way to. Uh, fix a lot of problems that Arkham All had, and I think that they still haven't made a better game than Eldritch Hall. Um, and it, it, it has its, oh. its its problems, obviously, but I think that it's the game that's best encapsulate that uh, that sort of um, ah. long winded uh, epic adventures against uh, cultists that the later. Um, Tulu RPGs have, have become, and I think that's that's pretty pretty strong and pretty interesting. Okay, I, I yeah. have to answer to this. <laughs> <laughs> the the first one is that this game uh, doesn't compare good with uh, doesn't compare well with other uh, uh, Arkham horror games or other uh, games in the Tulu myth. Uh, 
this game compares to Pandemic. This game is is really a, a more thinky Pandemic because it's similar to that, but it has smarter end condition. It has uh, tighter control. It has tighter mechanics. So it's uh, advanced Pandemic while still being a light game. The second thing I have to say is about FFG and uh, and Cthulhu in general. And I have to say uh, uh, FFG has gone on a downward spiral with, uh, with uh, Cthulhu games. I have to say, I think a lot of people uh, has been fed up with uh, with the genre, and uh, and the quality of games is kind always of more of the same. I think you can be uh, with a you can you can be happy with uh, with Eldritch Horror, for example, uh, Arkham Horror Decker game for sure. There are a lot of good games uh, and new stuff is kind of uh, not up to the classics, let's say. There's Cthulhu Death My Die. Uh, I didn't play it, so I really can't say anything about it. A lot of people is uh, talking good about it. I don't know, but uh, that's the way Cthulhu games are going now. This is a game from uh, two years ago, almost three years ago, and uh, it's uh, actually in the low 3000s on Borgengi ranking. So uh, a lot of people uh, is not rating it good. I have to say it's a game that it's worth it for the puzzle mechanics, for the family mechanics. I think that uh, this is the one uh, game in the Tulu myth that I can say it's a family game. Hello! Hi Audrey! Oh, hi, Hello. Uh, hi Audrey! <laughs> Is somebody, did somebody call out Audrey's name three times and they arrived like Haster? <laughs> in front of a mirror, <laughs> yeah. We have five countries again. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm okay. I just had a talk with my job search advisor as I'm uh, out of a job right now and we are doing good so now i'm uh, let's say i have the tools to search for a new job and else yeah i'm good making progress on midara with alexis and that's it <laughs> yeah we we heard of that yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's my it's my it's my window now to introduce you to the other cast member for this episode <laughs> say hello oh, to bell. durian bell oh from, let's let's from do a it board again game. with a bell yeah, yeah. Mm. It, it, I, I, I paid for this bell. I love this bell, and I'm only going to use it in one episode, so I'm going to milk it. <laughs> Speaking of, it's not exactly bell, uh, but it's a subject very close to that. Uh, a few months ago in the Facebook groups, uh, there was a meme running around all the time. It was the same, which was, when you die, get cremated and made it toward hourglass so you can still participate in board game night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the same about grandpa that's, or grandma. That's AP definition. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it's like, hang on, who are we going to use tonight to time the turns? Uh, grand grandpa takes five minutes and grandma takes three and a half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that, that that meme was just everywhere. At some point, everybody was fed up with it, and mm. now I still see it uh, resurfacing from time to time. Uh, 
Oh, okay, I I don't want this to look uh, to look uh, actually impolite to Audrey, but uh, I have to leave right now. Oh no! So... Hand, on, hand on, hand on the recording baton then in the yeah, relay race. We'll... <laughs> don't make me get out my gavel. I've got all the props. No, 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 no! I have to go. As you said, to close on the family hourglasses, I think that would be very appropriate for any yes. game. Yes. Yeah, for yes, sure. It would. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Don't ever store modern art horizontally, uh, vertically, guys. Never do it. <laughs> Never do it. Keep it Keep it uh, horizontal. Everything's everywhere. This is a terrible mess. I'm going to have to deal uh, with this afterwards. Uh, right, Alessio. Well, thank you very much for telling us all about um, Arkham. Uh, final yeah. hour, a game that uh, I I was interested in learning about. Um, I think I'm going to stick with Elder Sign. Uh, La like it or leave it. Yeah, Elder yeah. Sign is more Arkham like. I just like the dice. It's nice to play a Yahtzee <laughs> game that you can go crazy while doing. Uh, well, yeah, that's that's fantastic. So um, I guess uh, we've we've got a, a hello from Audrey, and this would be the point where Alessio says goodbye, and my goodbye. dog is nuts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bye guys. Bye. And after talking about all of those uh, fungoid monsters coming straight from the Eldritch planet uh, Yugoth, uh, we are going to explore some different planets uh, with Car bringing up Unsettled. Yeah, so Unsettled, a game I was really excited about, then I started to hate, and then I started to like again. Um, it's uh, it has been on Kickstarter I don't know like two years ago um, yeah something maybe like only that. one year time is a weird concept during pandemic times um, and um, it's described as a sandbox survival game um, basically the story is you are a part of uh, a crew of an exploratory spaceship and your ship gets into some sort of time, space, vortex thingy, gets ripped apart, put back together and uh, things get damaged, people die and you come out of it on the other side somewhere. You have no idea where you are. You just know you are far away from home. Uh, most of the crew is dead or heavily injured and uh, the survivors are some scientists and you are lucky in that just in front of you is a planet that might hold some resources or technology that could help you get your ship uh, repaired and survive. So um, the game is uh, constructed as a core uh, um, mechanic. Uh, core system where you add different planets in um, and thereby each planet changes how the game plays and that's really important to understand why I hated the game and then started to like the game because it can be very different. Um, the first thing when you um, look at the game is it's a really weird box shape. Uh, my fellow podcasters can can see it behind me. It's <laughs> um, it's basically the length of a uh, Kallax cube, but uh, it's it's yeah it, it's it's 
yeah, it's, weird, it weird seems like it's uh, it's a weird piece to add to the Tetramino that is your uh, board game space. It yes. doesn't even seem like you can't fit two and then more boxes on top of that that don't fit. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, it does fit well into a Kallax and um, it has an insert um, that's good and weird because um, the insert does one thing well, it helps you with setup. You basically, you open the box and you just take out trays and put them somewhere and then you have a few pieces you have to put on these separately and build your card stacks depending on which plant you use and that's it. It's uh, really quick, but I feel like, okay, if you make this amazing insert and then you have some recesses that aren't deep enough, so the tokens you can put in there and that are supposed to stay in there can't move around. So there, there are some, some things where I just, why, why didn't you do this? when you already made the insert and you have the space for it um yeah 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 i i i ha also have unsettled um and i have a dog who's going berserk uh but um it, yeah i had the same problems with it it just it's like uh you get all those extra expansion boxes for the different planets and the initial box has the nice room to put two trays in there but you get six planets and they kind of float around um and make the whole shape even weirder yeah, um, it's I, it's it's one of those I, I like to call it like a 95% production where it's like a really good idea and it's almost executed brilliantly and then the last bit falls down and makes it really annoying. Yeah, like uh, each planet box has its, has its own small insert in it so you can store the planet specific component in this planet box and it is usable in two ways. You can use it to store unsleeved cards and you can like take out a piece and then you can use it to store sleeved cards except you can't um like they offer sleeves themselves and i would expect that yeah it's it fits perfectly but it just doesn't it's like a little bit too small to fit the sleeved cards and that's just why <laughs> and um but yeah so Overall, it's a great production quality, and I think it's time to actually talk about the game. Um, so it has some seventh continent feeling in that uh, you do have um, a map made up of different cards, and you can travel to uh, new locations and flip over the cards and see what's there and um, do stuff. Um, the survival aspect is pretty harsh. so. It's not like there's a lot going around just straight up killing you. It's it's time that's killing you. Basically, you are on a hostile planet and you can't spend uh, endless time there. At some point, you have to leave. You have to get back to your ship and into safety. And um, I think it fits the theme very well. But as I said, it can be pretty harsh because most actions you do take up time. So you really have to think about what you can do and what you should do, or on the other hand, what you shouldn't do. Um, in the game, when it's your turn, you have three focus cubes you can use to do actions. Um, these are basically your main actions. These cubes, um, basically dice uh, that show uh, a number from one to three 
or a uh, sand clock. I'm sure it's called differently in English. Um, <laughs> hourglass, like an hourglass. And um, basically, when you make do an action, you reduce the, the number on the cube by the amount of time or a focus it takes. Um, if you don't have any focus left of one type, you can still use it for an action, but it costs you time, uh, increasing your time marker and thereby over time decreasing the endurance of, of the explorers and in the end just killing you. And um, <clears throat> this mechanic is pretty interesting um, because most actions have a certain focus type these focus types have names. I just call them green, red and blue because I can't remember the names. But um, each action has a certain type uh, that is associated with and if you use the fitting focus you get an additional bonus for the action. Um, so that's something you really have to get your head around and think okay I would like to do this now but I don't have the fitting focus available so maybe I will do it next turn so I don't like lose out on the additional bonus and so um, even there there's a lot to think about and, uh, and plan ahead and um, other main action include Luna. Luna is great. Luna is, is just amazing. Luna is there to help you and to save you and She's nice. So, lunar is life. Lunar is love. We or love Luna. the cult of Luna. Yeah. And her roundness. <laughs> so Luna is the um, uh, robot that comes with the ship. It's like, uh, uh, you know, the uh, robot that was put on the exploratory ship to keep everyone sane and in line. And um, yeah, you can use Luna as well. Um, send her somewhere, dig for materials or scan some things to gather data about the planet and, and so on. Um, so yeah, the really interesting part of the gameplay comes with the free actions. Apart from the main actions you can do when it's your turn, you also have a lot of free actions which you unlock over the course of the game. Basically, the longer you play, the more options you have. And the free actions you can do while it's not your turn. So, um, while in the beginning you only have your standard actions and it's pretty clear, okay, now it's my turn and do this, I do that, and then it's your turn again. Later on, it's like, okay, I, would, I do that. And, oh, wait, if you do that, I can help you by doing this. All right, and if you do that, then I can also add this. And suddenly you forget whose turn it is. And um, so it's, I've never really experienced a cooperative experience, uh, a play game where this, where it really felt like, no, it's not just my turn and we work towards a shared goal, but we actually plan and, and do our turns together. Um, because even if it's my turn, I still am dependent on what the others do and I need their help to do what I want to do. Um, so yeah, I think the mechanics are pretty interesting. It's a lot <laughs> to learn. Um, I think the first two or three games I did several things wrong. Um, it's a lot to keep track of and the rule book isn't always the best. Um, but 
I said before, the game is very different depending on the planet. And uh, the core game comes with two planets boxes and there are four more you can get as expansion. I only played the two core ones for now. And I started with the first planet that is recommended as the starting planet. And I played this planet. I played all three missions on it. Every planet has three missions you can play. And I hated it. I was so frustrated. And yes. I really was at a point where I thought, damn it, I shouldn't have bought this game. It sucks. It sucks. The first planet sucks so much. It should not be the first planet you play. It's a terrible introduction to the game. Yeah. Throw it in the bin. It's and awful. It's not just, it's, I, I mean, what, what I, I, <laughs> I, I was so frustrated with the game that I really had to force myself to start the second planet. And I'm glad I did it because the second plan was so much more fun. And after I played the first mission there, I was I thought, why the hell do they recommend Venora? That's the first planet planet's name. Why do they recommend this one as the introduction to the game? Their argument is that it doesn't include um, a lot specific rules or something, so um, you are not overwhelmed with stuff. And I it's was nonsense. overwhelmed. There are all these. Uh, I I I don't want to to spoil a lot, but there are so many moving parts, literally, and it's ah, oh, I I hate it. I hate it. I don't want to play this planet ever again. Me and, either. And, and you, you know what frustrated me even more? I hated all three of the missions, but I hated the first one most of all of them. It was so fiddly. It was so much to do. It was so tiring and overwhelming. The second mission felt a little bit better, but yeah, it's it's the second planet, which is a more empty, sparse kind of planet with rolling storms and some really cool mechanics of elevation. And I was like, you know what? This feels less crowded. I know what I'm doing. I, 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 I'm less confused. I, I I said when we talked about this before, like we discussed it um, previously, I was like, why didn't they just have something like this, a Spartan kind of clear planet with not a lot going on, just for you to get to grips with the mechanics of survival and the distrust mechanic and everything. Why are we on this stinky planet filled with fungus that causes hallucinations and all sorts of nonsense? This I, is too much. I was really interested by um, uh, Unsettled. I, I really wanted to back it, but at the time I finally decided not to to to, um, to jump for it. And I'm kind of glad I did because uh, both of your opinion make me feel like the game is kind of missing uh, a spark here and there, and that maybe a second edition will get. It's this, the, that's the thing. The sparks there, but you have to get past the first planet and get to the second planet and the other boxes the later planets are i i've i've played all of them and they're all so much better than this first planet wenvo or i i, I call it wenvo because it's a place in the uk uh, but it, it's <laughs> fungus stinky fungus planet is, a, is terrible and i yeah, don't know I, why they thought I had this a was a couple of questions about yeah that. what do you uh, sorry car didn't meant to interrupt yeah the, also what you just said about you know what to do the first planet, the missions there are basically, basically every mission has um, three steps to it. Yeah? And you start with the first step and you do it and then you flip over and you see what the next step is. And on the first planet, on each missions, I felt like I'm just surprised by what happens next. Yeah? I have no way of planning ahead, of knowing what comes and I flip over the card and I'm like, damn. 
I'm not prepared for that because I had no idea it could go in this direction. On the second plan, first mission, it's so straightforward. It's like you flip the card over and you're, yeah, of course I'm doing that now. That makes sense. So it, it, it just makes so much more sense. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I had a, a, a couple of questions if, if I can interject. So uh, I know that the, the game has a strong narrative-oriented um, bend to it. So how replayable would you say that it is? I'd say it, it has a very light narrative okay. bend. Um, be, because there's there's not a lot of individual like events happening on different bits. It's a bit more abstract. You you get your initial card that sets the scene, and you'll have another card after you've achieved that objective, and a third one which is do this and then get the hell out of dodge. Typically, that's like the the set, um, and they they vary things a little. But it's kind of just like you move to a tile and you'll experience maybe something or you might find an anomaly you can interact with but it's very light on that and it feels a bit more puzzly um i would say i'd say seventh continent feels like it has more narrative well, to it in that it's good that aspect. you're bringing a comparison because i wanted to ask you to compare it to another game uh, far away how do you think it fares next oh. to far away which seems to be to have a sort of similar vibe to it because I was going to go for Unsettled and then you talked about Far Away and Far Away has been my um, the, the one that I went for in the end um, I, I think mechanically Far Away is heavier um, you, you're dealing with wildlife that's moving around you've got a ton of rules to, to handle with that typically with only a few exceptions you're not dealing with um, wildlife and very explicitly and unsettled you're not dealing with combat as such although the first scenario of the very first game basically had combat in it that wasn't combat yeah. And I was like, this is combat. You're not calling it combat. A spade is a spade, <laughs> game, even if you've the covered it The game specifically sold itself on the idea that there was no combat, and that this was a very exploration, uh, peaceful game. I, I felt like I was under attack from an invading well, force. Yeah. I, yeah. So, but, but you would you, yeah. you would say that um, first planet aside, the game is is really good. Okay, okay. Yeah, well, that's yeah, what I need to go for. It, it feels like a bunch of nice small um, ex, small experiences, um, but the, the cost is quite considerable. You've got to buy the main game, which gives you the first two planets, no choice. So then you have to consider getting the other planets, which do get harder and harder, um, but they're also quite interesting. Uh, I think on replayability front, uh, when, whenever, whenever aside, Fungus Land aside, I would play the others like quite a few times even if I'm playing the same scenario. But for me, narratively, Far Away still has the stronger narrative because you see a bunch of funny scenarios with very much tongue-in-cheek in how it treats you as more or less disposable. Um, this has more of that kind of wondrous science exploration, look at the universe and Marvel and like more hard sci-fi, I, I guess. Whereas Far Away feels a bit more like paranoia and a bit like silly. I have a question about the, that, let's say, fabled, I'm not sure that's a proper word, or infa infamous uh, first planet. Uh, do you have the possibility uh, to get back to it and redo it? Yes. Yeah, I did, yep. yep and I... is it better after you've played more on the other planets or does it, is it still bad? 
the first scenario on the first planet is still bad. The second one was a little better. It felt a little bit more conventional. Um, I wasn't keen on the third one. How about you, Kara? Um, I felt, I mean, for, for me, I felt like it's, it's just a really hard planet. And um, the, the whole randomness, uh, the whole I have no idea what happens and suddenly I get a mission and I'm not prepared for that. You can navigate that, of course, if you know the mission and if you know how you win. Um, you, I mean, the, the one mission is actually pretty easy once you know how it works. So you basically prepare just stuff for the second and third step until you actually finish the first one because once you finish the first one you have to be quick and um, and once I did that I it was just so easy going and but it didn't feel very fun that way mm, yeah it's not it's not a fun planet it's not. okay so it improves but barely yeah um, I, I personally I wouldn't want to play it again with, with other people. If someone said, hey, I want to try this game, I'd say, okay, here's this cool second planet. Um, let's go I, there. I just tell him it's the first one. <laughs> there's, there's a printing error on the box. It should be a one. Um... <clears throat> Num number one is, is your home planet. Number one's Earth. We don't go there. This yeah. is number two. Yeah. Um... <laughs> number one got destroyed, so we fled from there. and. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so um, I also think with regards to these different experiences, um, I, I, when I look at Board Game Geek, um, the game has an 8.3. Um, I don't think it's that high um, in, in general. And I think here people really make a mistake of rating the game and not rating the planets. Yeah, yeah. I've been considering whether I do a written review about this game or not. And the problem I had is, if I'm going to write a review of a Kickstarter game, I want to do the core game. Like, if you just bought the core game, this is what you get. I did that for Deep Madness, and I concluded that on the whole, it really needed expansions, especially Kickstarter stuff, to be viable, which isn't good. This game, uh, I don't think there's much in the way of Kickstarter exclusives that you would care about. I can't remember if there were any. Orange Nebula are usually pretty good in not being too much like that. Um, but I, I would have to be like, I'd have to review it with all six planets, and I'd have to be like, just, just, just yeah, you, you need to get all six planets really to have a nice varied experience um, and see some of the cool things that this game can do. Unlike, say, Detective City of Angels, where I could have been like, just get the core game by itself and play through that because each of the different scenarios will wow you in its own way this one it's it's a very variable experience um beautiful though and i love that they did double layer boards for the player boards yes um so yeah production quality is great with a few caveats uh, regarding the insert solution um there is one thing i just remembered i i felt was really weird um maybe that's better in the expansion planets but um Basically, one of the mechanics is you can uh, explore a tile. So when you are somewhere, you can just, you know, spend an action to explore it and discover something. And um, the discoveries come with uh, different cards uh, where you have to do something. And they, they are really nice. They describe uh, great how, 
how what you see and what happens there and what you're thinking how you could use this and um but what you get in the end is kind of random so you have this deck of discovery cards and um when you resolve uh, an opportunity it's called you just take one of these cards uh, at random and put a like token on it and at least in the starting planet what token you put on there doesn't matter at all even though each token depicts a specific thing you can find on the planet and always all the time i felt like okay why does this do that how the, is this connected so i found some i don't know space time warping fungus and suddenly i get rare polymers and instead of some biochemical thing and um, what what what's what, what's happening yeah yeah it, that doesn't really change because you get a little bit of an idea of what you're aiming towards with each different tech deck be in a certain style but the first time you go into planet yeah you're just like okay well i'll do the orange energy card what have i got here um and sometimes it's really useful and sometimes it's not it's quite inconsistent and it can have mm -hmm. a huge impact on how well you're doing um yeah. so yeah yeah it's I, I think it helps a little bit with the replayability for people who really want to get into min max in a scenario and getting it right um but yeah, it's a lot of variance, um, and I, I, I appreciate the technologies are themed to each planet, and they do help with them. But uh, I found my playthroughs like on the second planet. If I get the right technology, it's so much easier than if that stuff doesn't turn up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a uh, maybe the game needed a little bit more time in the playtesting oven for that kind of stuff because that's one of the things i think far away does better in that you're aiming more at certain technologies um and you kind of know what you're getting um yeah i definitely think playtesting is an issue here um it's what i felt um all through my first place that i thought okay there are so many questions i have and the rulebook doesn't give a, a clear, concise answer for them. Um, that's something that should have been noticed. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it, it's for for me in particular. Like after I played it a bit, I played it just for the purposes of reviewing it. To be honest, and um, sometimes I just found it exhausting. It was just so tiring to navigate what's going round, which isn't isn't great i want to feel a bit kind of refreshed and like i've had fun and i'm like oh i can't wait to get back to it um did you play solo by the way um i played solo and with my partner two two player we couldn't uh -huh. play with more because the game was too much for um the lighter gamers that we play with to get to grips with yeah, because what, one thing i i found or thought is that it it's harder with two or more people because all this thinking okay with the free actions and who does which what when and it gets more complicated with more people because suddenly the actions are spread around between different players and um like not me sitting there with two characters and i know exactly what they can do um mm. yeah yeah but, the failure failure rates 
Um, your failure rate is um, definitely higher with more players, and you have to spend a lot more time discussing. And the the temptation is you kind of land on this planet and you want to all run off and explore a bit around, and there's just kind of not really that available. Um, the I forget the name of it, the distrust mechanic. It's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It it, it it's. It's meant to be like how tensions are playing between your group and everything and have this interesting sort of extra wrinkle to it. And it ends up just being a binary flip up and down, uh, have a bonus, have a negative kind of thing. Um, and it just doesn't doesn't feel good. And it, it, it this game, I really hoped for more exploring. I thought I was going to be landing when I backed this on big planets i'd be dealing out a grid of i don't know like six by six cards and i'd explore for a while and then maybe find something that would put me in the direction of what i was doing to try and escape the planet to, to move on that was the impression i got from the kickstarter and instead everything's tighter and smaller and just there's so much less space to breathe when you're playing this missing the wonder of just turning up a card and looking at this thing and going oh this is a cool new bit of this planet it's mm -hmm. kind of there but usually it's like okay well that's nice but that's not what i'm looking for for this mission better get on yeah and uh, one thing people should definitely keep in mind it is cooperative and they do like write and and joke about it in the um 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 the thing that you read, where you read how the game is played. <laughs> Manual, yes. Um, <laughs> so uh, th they joke about how uh, you you could, you know, just go off on your own and uh, do your own thing and just disagree on what to do and, and stuff like that. And no, you can't. If you do that, you will lose because the planet will kill you. Um, so you don't have an option there and um, yeah if the mission demands you to stay together um, you can't go off on your own but as a solo game i felt when playing the second planet it's uh, a nice puzzle it's interesting to discover the planet and um the mechanics are, are pretty neat. Um, yeah. yeah. There's definitely some good stuff in it, for sure. But just, yeah, I think, as you said, a second printing with some thorough working on everything and some balancing. And I want to see a training prologue moon. I, I want to see an exploration on a fairly basic simple planet with straight objectives of hey you've crash landed you need to find the materials to fix your ship even if it's just like two steps on two cards mm. just to get to grips with those mechanics of survival and gathering and exploring and i would also just love to see a really big planet for exploring not as large as say seventh continent because that's way too big but somewhere in between mm. Well, I think it's fair to say that's all we have time for in this episode. So yeah. you can catch us over at www.patreon.com forward slash The Last Standee or as The Last Standee on Twitter. So until next time, we've been the various members of The Last Standee. So it's goodbye from Alexis. From Belgium. Au revoir. Audrey. Bye bye. Cara. 
From Germany. Auf Wiederhören. Myself. Durian Bell. <laughs> and remember that the second E in Stan D is for excellence. <laughs> <laughs>